Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Come again. See, that's what we say when we hear or see something and we're not so sure that what we saw or heard was really what we saw or heard. Or or we're not so sure we hear something, we read something that we understand it or we're not so sure about it. We're a little skeptical. Come again? It's hard to imagine what happened that first Pentecost Sunday It's one of those things we have difficulty wrapping our heads around because, well, maybe it hasn't happened to you. Today is Pentecost Sunday when the church around the world and through history has remembered and marked the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But when we read these words that are recorded in Acts chapter 2, we're skeptical, perhaps. A heavenly gale storm Inside, in the building, blowing through this heavenly gale storm. The tongues of fire resting upon those who gathered. Can, have you ever had a tongue of fire rest on your head? I know it looks like I have, but I haven't. Right? But some of you, maybe you have. And then what about the miraculous ability to communicate in languages that were known to the world, but they were unknown to you. It would be like me suddenly being possessed with the power to speak as if I'm from Boston, right? Or maybe the power suddenly to speak and understand Russian, having never, ever, I don't even know, A Russian word. It's hard to imagine something like that happening today. So we read it and we leave it to yesterday, to another day. We we do it and we leave it maybe to fantasy. We become so focused as we read a passage like that on the spectacular demonstrations. Or we think about the emotional highs and the external experiences, which is what the church today tends to focus on. And we do that and we end up missing what the real gift is. Thinking we need to replicate what we just read somehow for us to be the real church. It's hard to wrap our heads around it. But there is something that we could actually wrap our heads and our hearts around and it is this. From that day forward, Those people who were following Jesus were different people. From that day forward, they hit another gear. From from that day forward, they shifted. They found a new devotedness. They found a new ability. They found a new enablement to love and reflect the resurrected Jesus they worshiped. 
And so I don't think that we try to, need to try to replicate some kind of experience that's encapsulated in Acts chapter 2, but we need to seek to try to replicate or allow God to replicate in our lives the kind of people those followers of Jesus became. Before this, they vacillated in their commitment. But then, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. The Holy Spirit. Who do you think the Holy Spirit is? What do you think the Holy Spirit is? Well, he's not simply an emotional occurrence. Some people just say, well, it's just emotion. Well, don't, don't reduce him to that. Don't minimize him to that. He's not a spiritual power. Don't idolize him as that. He's not some spirituality. Don't dismiss him as that. He's not something we manufacture from our own religious experience. Don't chase after that. He is not merely some impersonal influence. Don't weaken him as that. The Holy Spirit is given as the gift of God's very presence. In the mystery of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is the very presence of God. The promise from Jesus to these same disciples seems almost too good to be true when we hear Him say it. This is what we read in John chapter 14. In the Common English Bible, is translated, I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. He is with you and will be in you. That translation captures this role and relationship of the Holy Spirit. Companion. That's a highly personal term, a highly personal relationship. In most of our Bibles, it's translated advocate or helper or something along those lines. But the original term literally means someone who's summoned, someone who's called to one's side, especially called to one's aid, someone who's a companion. The Holy Spirit is the divine companion who accompanies us, who comes alongside us, who helps us in this journey. He, he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. That's the Holy Spirit. But, but here's the truth in all of this. Without the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, the true person of the Holy Spirit, then the Christian life, Christianity, then is only an emotional experience that's fleeting. Christianity is only a spiritual idea that's powerless. Christianity is only a bunch of religion or religious experience that's shallow. No, we need more than experiences and we need more than emotion. And you know what? We also need more than power. We need someone. We need someone who will help us and aid us in living on the other side of the resurrection. Jesus said he is the one who will be with you. He said, he is with you. Those are personal pronouns. Not, it will be with you. We need someone. 
And that truth is expressed in words that have been attributed actually to a number of different people. But the first time that I heard them came from the writings of the missionary Stanley Jones. He was a missionary to India in the 20th century. He actually personally ministered to Mahatma Gandhi. I paraphrase his words. He said, the Holy Spirit is not a spiritual luxury. He is an utter necessity for human living. The human spirit fails unless the Holy Spirit fails. Say that. The human spirit fails unless the Holy Spirit fills. Now, we have been working our way through 1 John through the several weeks since Easter. And we're going to find our way now back to 1 John chapter 3. But as we talk about this Holy Spirit, we want to talk about him as the X factor, if you will. One definition of an X factor is a variable that's given in a situation that could have the most significant impact on the outcome. One variable that has the most significant impact on the outcome. What is the variable in the Christian life? What is the variable in the lives of these followers of Jesus? What is the variable that we need today? Well, seven times in John's letter in 1 John, the Holy Spirit is referenced. And it's to the very first place where it's referenced that we're going to turn this morning, briefly. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 19. This is the word of the Lord for us today. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Holy Spirit he gave us. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. So as we wrap up this series of messages, I think it's appropriate that we do it on Pentecost Sunday. And we're reminded of the outpouring of the Spirit to the church because he is the X factor. The Holy Spirit is the X factor. He is the variable, if you will, for life on the other side of the resurrection, for the life that we have been depicting now through several weeks of messages. Over these weeks, we have made some declarations. We have pointed to some scripture that's called us to what life looks like on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus. We have said that this is a life that possesses an ability to be a living testimony in our world. It's a life of a transformation of new creation, a distinctive life. It's a life that has a new identity as the beloved of God. We have said that it's a life where we have a power to live in love without fear. It's a life that has a faith that holds on and overcomes. And it's a life where we trust and stand wholly and fully on Christ, who is our solid rock. And then it is a life that gives us, that offers us, that creates in us a capacity to love and to be actualized, that love to be actualized in and through us. 
Now, I don't know about you, but as we've been going down through these sermons, as we've been talking about these truths, as we've been reading through 1 John, I wonder, at some point in time, did you say this? I can't do that. In fact, I wonder if there's ever a time when you're reading through your Bible and you say, I can't do this. Especially when it comes to loving like Jesus. Especially when it comes to loving that person like Jesus. I can't do this. Well, I actually think that's the right conclusion. I think maybe we need to come to that conclusion more often than not. The truth is, the human spirit fails unless the Holy Spirit fills. The Holy Spirit, the very presence of God with us, And in us is the one who actualizes all of this in and through us. So here's a key. We must know that being filled with the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is not optional. But that it's essential. It's essential to effectively and faithfully live this Christian life. We must know that this isn't secondary, but this is primary. And that's the beauty of this. That's the glory of Pentecost Sunday, is that he is the gift to us. He himself is the gift to us on the other side of the resurrection. We all wish we can be like John, who wrote in the very beginning of his book, we saw him, we felt him, we touched him, we hung out with him. In our vernacular, he'd probably say, we had a snack with him. We took a walk with him. We literally prayed with him. We all wish we could touch him and feel him and be with him and say, and here's my friend Jesus. But we don't live in that that time frame. We don't live in that place in history. However, he himself is the gift given to us on the other side of that. Listen again to verse 24. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. Right now. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is how we know, or better said, this is how we experience This is how we encounter God living in us. We experience that, we encounter that by the Spirit He gave us. It is in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that we see life with Christ and Christ lived through us actualized. And that points to another key. And this is the hard one. This is the hard key. We must denounce the notion that we can do this in our own strength and in our own energy. Haven't you discovered that? Have you discovered that? That life has a way of showing up and reminding you that we can't do this without him. Has a way of doing that. We must be like his disciples as described by Stephen Harper when he writes, as long as they labored under the notion that they could do it alone, they were not ready 
for the quality of spiritual life which Jesus had in mind. They had to be stripped of self-sufficiency and filled with a receptive humility. That's a statement. There's a lot there of receptive humility. Humility that says, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. A humility that says, I can't without you. That's the spirit we must have. I'm reminded of the words of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Speaking to the leader Zerubbabel, he said this to him, you will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my spirit. You're not going to make it in your own strength, in your own power, but by my spirit. Let that settle on you a bit this morning. Let that settle on me a bit this morning. What is it that you are trying to attempt? What is it that is eluding you? What is it that you know you can't do it on your own? You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not some impersonal force, not some great experience, not some high emotion that's going to fade, but by his very presence. But all of this that we've been reading in 1 John, and really the enablement, the empowerment, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives gets reduced to this, that the Holy Spirit actualizes us for this one thing, one thing. We're going to make it very simple. The Holy Spirit actualizes us for one thing. And it all comes down to this. Verses 22 and 23, we read, Keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The life in the Spirit of God, the life in God's Spirit, leads to us becoming vessels of the love of Jesus in this world. One thing. One thing. I was talking to my neighbor the other day, and we were just exchanging, I had borrowed a saw from him, and we were just exchanging conversation. And he said this to me. He said, I wish that people would just be more human. What a statement. I wish that people would just be more human. Well, you see, that's what the Holy Spirit, that's the one thing the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's the one thing, that we be more human in the truest sense of the term, distinctly the Holy Spirit's empowerment is the empowerment to choose Christ-like love. And there's nothing more human than that. We think of our humanity, and we often think about, when we say just being human, we think about the negative side of being a human being, right? 
But think about the opposite side. God's intention for us as human beings. What is his intention for us as human beings? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's being fully human. And so it reduces down. But that's not something that I can generate in my own strength. It's not something you can generate. It's a product of the Holy Spirit's presence and enabling. Many of you know the famous passage from Galatians 5 of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things, and I'm sure I missed at least one. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit, not of Jeff, not of Trevor, not of Sue, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And Paul says in Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's been given to us. I was thinking about the day of Pentecost and the, the, the birthing of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit and it dawns on me, they're up in the upper room and they are not asking for the Holy Spirit. All they're doing is what Jesus told them to do. He said, go and wait for the promise from God. And I wonder if there's a lesson in that for us to simply seek to be his, completely his, and seek to do what he calls us to do, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. And if we do that, it's not the Holy Spirit, something that comes because my prayers are powerful and, and mighty and they sound spiritual. But just because he gives it, because I'm in a position to receive him. And he gives the Holy Spirit. What a thought that is for us. God's love has been shed in our hearts by the Spirit who has been given to us. And so the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is variable. He is the X factor in living a Christ-like love. It can't be manufactured in our own will or energy. But that is such good news. Think about it in these terms. If you're a parent or a grandparent, what is the desire you have for your child? I'm not referring to material gains or career accomplishments, not to aspirations of fame and fortune and success, though those things may very well be what our children attain. And we would be glad for that. We would want that for them. But the greatest desire a parent has is for a child to live out the life that they are made for that the child would become a person. We'd often say we'd want them to be a good person. Perhaps we might say we want them to become the person that God made them to be. And to that end, a parent wants to give them the best they can offer them so that they can become that person, so they can live the life they're intended to live. Well, God's no different. And that's really good news. This is how Jesus put it in Luke chapter 11. Let me ask you this. 
Do you know of any father who would give his son a snake on a plate when he asked for a serving of fish? Of course not. Do you know of any father who would give his daughter a spider when she had asked for an egg? (laughs) I know some brothers who'd be tempted, but not a father. Of course not. If imperfect parents know how to lovingly take care of their children and give them what they need, how much more will the perfect Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit's fullness when His children ask Him? And I think that's all of what I want to say today. God wants to. He's poised to. He's prepared to give the fullness of His Spirit, His very presence to us. And in Him, in Him, that doesn't mean we're promised an easy life. It doesn't mean we're, we're promised that we're never going to struggle. It doesn't mean that we're, we, we're promised that we're never going to have a doubt again. It doesn't mean that we're, we're promised that, that we're not going to experience grief and pain and suffering and hardship and rejection and loneliness and isolation and difficulty and all those things. None of that's promised. He just says, you get me. In the midst of all of it, We all wish, in some ways, that what that meant was that we don't get cancer, that we don't get funerals, that we don't get strokes, that we don't get heartaches. We all wish that. Anyone in their right mind would say, boy, wouldn't that be great, but would it? See, the promise promise we have here from God himself is we get him. And in him, We find everything we need. And yes, we can live in the love of God. And yes, we can love like Christ. And yes, we can know by the Spirit we are the beloved of God. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him. And he in them. And this is how we know that God lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. And that is how we know we can live on the other side of the resurrection. This side of the resurrection. Thanks be to God. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. May that be said of us. Amen? May that be said of me. May that be said of us. Spirit of the living God. I'm going to ask our instrumentalists if they would come this morning and and just begin playing. And for a moment, just for a moment, I want to invite you today to respond to God in whatever way that perhaps the scriptures, the songs, the message has impacted your life. What is it that you've heard today? Where is it in your life that you've got to give up doing it on your own? How is it that you need the Holy Spirit's presence to fill you right where you are? I invite you just for a moment to join me in a moment of silence. Just let's be silent before God for a moment. And maybe you want to pray for your own life, for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.
And just for a moment, what is it that you need to say to God today? What is it that God has for you today? Let's just be still and be silent just for a moment. this sacred space, oh God. Not so much the space of a physical building, but the space of our hearts, our minds. We cry out to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus. Amen.